Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Rising Edge DNO podcast with me, Richard Kutcher, and your host, Owen Dacey, Head of Claims at Rising Edge. We are recording this extra episode with a focus on sanctions because of the very fast changing landscape, uh, in particular with regards to Russia. So, Owen, hope you're well. Why did you think the sanctions topic was one which was important for us to address through the lens of DNO risks? Yeah, sure. So we've been busy over the past few months recording the latest batch of podcasts. And during that time, we've seen seen the invasion of, of Ukraine by Russia. And what's going on there is is, is deeply saddening and, and concerning. So first of all, we send our deepest sympathies to, to everyone who's affected by that conflict there. But one issue to come out of this conflict, as you've said, is, is the issues of sanctions. In this hyper-globalised world we live in, the situation with new, fast-developing US, UK, EU sanctions meant that we all had to start thinking very quickly about how these impact the business, how we ensure compliance, looking at what the pre-existing relationships contracts are and how they're impacted. That's just to name a few few of the issues. So we wanted to produce a short bonus episode covering sanctions and, of course, with an eye on the impact on directors and officers of companies get some points around risk mitigation and also have a short discussion about the issues that arise for underwriters and the people dealing with with DNO insurance and the claims. And who have we got joining us then to talk us through this? So we've got Mandip Sagu. He's from the international law firm Clyde & Co. He's Mandip is an, an expert in DNO liability and uh, DNO insurance. Fantastic. Well, Mandip starts with why it's important for D's and O's to be aware and understand the sanctions that have been imposed by the US, UK and the EU against Russian entities and individuals. Well, I mean, look, the, Ukra- the crisis in Ukraine has had some profound global implications and obviously some clearly devastating impact on the Ukrainian people. But from the perspective of those of us, if you like, on the outside, sanctions and flight bans mean companies are unable to move goods and assets. And like any event of this kind, the sheer volume of new emerging and unprecedented risks, internal debate and situational analysis that an organization needs to undertake can be frankly vast and quite time consuming. The primary challenge uh, I'd suggest for directors and officers is navigating that ever-changing landscape and, and frankly, keeping up to speed with it. New sanctions are being issued and existing ones updated at an unprecedented rate, any breach of which could have significant consequences, including for the directors personally. What are the kind of main legal issues you you kind of foresee arising for for directors and officers um, out of these sanctions? What are the potential impacts in in terms of liability and personal exposure for directors and officers who do anything, which basically puts them potentially in breach of of the sanctions rules? Yeah, I mean, it's an important question, but but a question that unfortunately doesn't have a particularly short answer because the risks are multifold. As well as statutory civil criminal risks, there will also be risks arising from regulatory action, D&O claims, and potentially claims from shareholders for mismanagement. If If we have a look at some of the statutory obligations, there are essentially three prohibitions. The first is not to make funds or economic resources available directly or indirectly to or for the benefit of an individual or entity on the sanctions list. 
The second is not to deal with funds or economic resources owned or controlled by an individual or entity on the sanctions list or anyone acting on their behalf. And the third is not to knowingly participate in activities that directly or indirectly circumvent these prohibitions on making funds available and dealing with funds. As you can see, then, the, the, the sort of scope of these prohibitions is actually quite broad and for good reason. It's also worth recognising that financial sanctions breach does not have to occur within the UK borders. The Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, the OFSI, for, for them to be engaged, a UK nexus is sufficient as well. So directors and officers will need to consider their operations abroad as well as in the UK. From a, a reporting perspective, the OFSI have issued guidance that firms are legally obliged to report to them if they know or suspect a breach of a financial sanction has occurred, or if they're dealing with a person that's directly or indirectly become a designated person, or if they hold any frozen assets. If any knowledge or suspicion of these things comes to mind while the firm is conducting its business, it needs to notify. And notification should also be made to the FCA with firms expected, as it's been put, to deal with regulators in an open and cooperative way. You asked a good question about the penalties because, of course, that's the consequence here. And breach of financial sanctions regulations is a criminal offence and it can result in imprisonment or an unlimited fine or both. The maximum custodial sentence is seven years. And where an offence is committed by a company and is shown to have been committed with the consent, connivance, or even because of the neglect of a director or officer, that person could also be guilty of the offence and could be imprisoned or fined. So we could see from that the directors and officers are clearly directly impacted. The breaches could also lead to significant civil monetary penalties under the Policing and Crime Act of 2017, which sets the maximum monetary penalty at a million pounds or 50% of the estimated value of the relevant funds or resources, whichever is greater. Again, monetary penalties could be imposed on the corporate or the individuals. On the 15th of March this year, the Economic Crime Transparency and Enforcement Act received royal assent. And that act is designed to make it easier and quicker for authorities to impose sanctions and identify and trace illicit wealth. In particular, that act removes the requirement for a person to have known, suspected or believed that they acted in breach of sanctions regulations. The OFSI could impose a civil penalty on a person where it's satisfied the person has breached those regulations on the balance of probabilities. So we can expect there's going to be more actions to follow. Finally, a financial transaction that was knowingly conducted in breach of a sanction would fall also within the anti-money laundering regime. So there could be breaches of other statutes, such as the, uh, the Proceeds of Crime Act 2002. From a, from a regulatory perspective, secondly, the FCA doesn't have any powers or responsibilities under the sanctions legislation itself in the UK, but it does have a statutory objective of oversight of systems and controls that firms have in place to prevent the risks they may be used to further financial crime, and that would include financial sanctions. There is therefore an expectation of good practice in relation to governance, risk assessment and screening in relation to financial sanctions. Where the FCA identifies a failing in any of these areas, it could impose restrictions or take enforcement action. I also mentioned derivative actions. If the directors are regarded to be in breach of their duties to the company for actions they may have taken connected to sanctions, they could face derivative actions brought by one or more shareholders uh, against them seeking redress on the company's behalf.
There could be shareholder actions, as I said. There could be a possibility that a shareholder brings a claim if the stock of the company is damaged by the actions of the directors and officers in their handling of the situation. And, and finally, but perhaps as importantly for directors themselves, there's a reputational risk. A director officer could, of course, suffer reputational damage if they should be investigated or found to have breached the sanction. And whilst the OFSI is obliged to report monetary penalties, it can, where it's satisfied that a breach has occurred, also publish a report into an individual, even where a monetary penalty wasn't imposed. So this, uh, you know, in answer to your question, apologies for going on, but uh, in answer to your question, there's quite a lot, actually, in terms of legal regulatory issues for people people to be aware of. Yeah, it's multifaceted. And just the interesting point I just pulled out from that when you were running through that, that point around actually only requiring neglect in some cases, depending on what, what type of claim it is. So the threshold seems quite low for someone to, to accidentally get caught up in this in this kind of situation. So That's absolutely right, yeah. So, so there's a, there's a load of risks out there. What what <laughs> kind of things can directors and officers be doing to mitigate the risk around those issues? For example, when handling new um, or existing relationships and contracts. Yeah, I mean that's an, obviously an important question. It's as I've said already, it's a rapidly changing environment. It really does require a sort of proactive approach and some flexible flexibility in terms of monitoring the situation and and what you can do to adapt and respond in a timely fashion. Systems and controls. Um, particular focus, as I said, of the FCA are, are at the heart of this. So they should be reviewed and updated regularly to make sure that they're adequate and, and capable of detecting and protecting the organization from sanctions risks. In terms of mitigation steps, I mean, obviously, there's there's a variety of things that one could consider. But, you know, starting with identifying business that you are engaged in that might be affected by sanctions, uh, reviewing client due diligence, particularly in relation to repeat or more important business, to make sure you've done what you can to identify beneficial ownership and control. Sometimes these are quite difficult to ascertain, but there's a danger of, I guess, complacency where you've been dealing with existing clients or important clients for a very long time. And it's it's worthwhile periodically to, to review the, the, the situation. Review your contracts, obviously, to see if they contain any provisions that might kick in in the event of imposition of sanctions and consider what the impact of those might be. And, and for newer business, consider whether you ought to include sanction provisions on your side of the contract and what the impact of those might be. The last point probably is to check what the insurance cover is that's in place and whether that's likely to be affected by applicable sanctions, bearing in mind that insurers might be subject to more, if not as strict sanction obligations as their insureds. And I can confirm it's very much at the forefront of our minds as insurers. Briefly on the insured entity, do the sanctions raise issues for the insured entity around indemnification of D's and O's? And what happens then to D's and O's who cannot be indemnified by the company or insurers in the event of a claim? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, they, they do. I mean, companies, as we know, are, are able to indemnify their directors for, amongst other things, liability uh, from civil claims and, and defence costs. Um, there are various restrictions, prob- probably not a topic for this podcast, but if the director, it transpires, has been acting in such a way in relation to sanctions, there may be a possibility that the, the company is prohibited from indemnifying him for his conduct him or her. And, and in those situations where, for example, there's no DNO cover in place either, whether because it wasn't bought or valid exclusions apply, then that director will unfortunately be left with that personal liability for those costs or fines. 
And so what in, in terms of the position under the insurance then, what, what should insurers be doing? As you've touched upon, uh, and uh, no doubt, as, as you say, facing on a daily basis at the moment, it's the same for insurers as it is for corporates, as it is for directors and officers. Insurers need to monitor the various sanction regimes, make sure we're up to speed on the latest developments and, and keep doing what we can to avoid the, the risk or consequences of breach. Um, certain UK financial sanctions regimes will include specific prohibitions for providing insurance to named entities, governments, public bodies, or, or even vessels. So it's important to keep a weather eye on those lists as well. And the majority of financial sanctions regulations will include an asset freeze provision under which one is prohibited from dealing with funds or economic resources owned, held, or controlled by such a designated person, especially if the entity knows or has reasonable cause to suspect that they are dealing with such funds or economic resources. That prohibition for our purposes would prevent an insurer from receiving premium from a designated person, but would also prevent the payment of any claims without an applicable exception or license. Many DNO policies will also include a sanctions exclusion, which will seek to clarify effectively what the position already is at law which is that insurers are not allowed to make insurance payments where barred by sanctions in place. Much of that will depend upon the wording as well, but there's clearly a potential then for circumstances to arise where indemnity that might otherwise be payable under a policy will not be paid due to the extent it might involve payment to a sanctioned entity or person. And, and for that purpose, sort of coming full circle, it's probably worth reminding ourselves again of the three prohibitions that we talked about at the outset, which again will apply to insurers as well, which is not to make funds or economic resources available to an individual or entity on the sanctions list, not to deal with funds or economic resources controlled or owned by such an individual or entity, and not to knowingly participate in activities directly or indirectly to circumvent the prohibitions on making funds available and dealing with funds. These, it seems to me, are key drivers for all of us, um, not least the insurance industry, um, as to any analysis we're carrying out and should continue to carry out as to possible sanctions implications in the current environment. So like you said, again, at the beginning, very broad, and it's going to be case by case analysis for each case with all those three points in mind. Exactly. Okay, well, fantastic. Thank you very much, Mandip. Thanks very much, Owen. Thanks again for having me on. Mm -hmm.